Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know, it was a good weekend when, after we get home from Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, uh, Catherine, Evan's fiance, sends us a message or sends us a picture of Evan asleep watching the Masters. This man I, fell asleep watching the Masters. I'll tuck it out. Yeah, I uh, should not have put my head down on that pillow because I didn't last more than five minutes watching. <laughs> you bundled up. You had the blanket and everything. I'm like, oh, that guy is zonked. Yeah, it was nice. I, uh, I, yeah, it was a great weekend, though. You know, it's a good tired. It's a good tired that comes from those events. And with four of them in the books, they're uh, they're getting better and more efficient every time. But definitely the uh the energy levels right after we're done it's like uh it's like it we like we leave it all in the field i'll say we sure do brad you made it back with uh and that was hank's first uh, red wings game too that was hank's first red wings game yeah he uh passed out almost immediately when we got back um we got back to the airbnb last night um and ordered dinner and by in the time it took to order dinner and receive the dinner hank was gone and uh, mika was still all wound up and yeah it was uh an, an early night for him which is pretty rare well folks uh now that we're back home and recovering after wing wheel podcast day at the lca we still wanted to bring you an episode uh but as you may have been able to tell uh, via audio so far if you're not watching on youtube this is a remote episode just to accommodate uh, uh the helping us to recover a little bit. We're still going to bring you some content today. The upcoming days are going to be a little bit different with these episodes. This one may be a bit shorter. We're looking to get a bonus episode out for you soon, which will be the recording of the live episode uh, from Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. And coming up midweek is uh, is a really special interview that we're excited to bring you as well. So uh, bear with us as things look a little bit funky as we head towards the end of the season. Uh, but absolutely, we're here with you to bring you the Winged Wheel podcast. Welcome, folks. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and hockey beyond. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we're going to give you an update on what happened over the last few Red Wings games, or the last couple of Red Wings games, which have been pretty eventful. Uh, the less eventful of the two is actually Wing Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. You almost forget that they had that 13-goal showdown between uh, uh, the, the Wings and Buffalo prior. Uh, a standings update as the Wings head into their last three games of the season with just one left at the LCA. And they look at what the playoff picture is like across the NHL. So not just the Connor Bedard lottery. Uh, those wildcard races are starting to get uh, pretty intense and, and going down to the wire, actually. Uh, we'll give you a little bit of a recap of the uh, the day of Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, and uh, also let you know what's been happening with players like Carter Mazur, whose first five games with Grand Rapids have gone great, as well as uh, Amadeus Lombardi and his uh, role with uh, Flint in the playoffs, and then some general uh, NHL and hockey news, Boston tying a Red Wings record, uh, tragically for me, uh, the Windsor Spitfires being upset by the Kitchener Rangers, uh, as the eight seed beat the one seed in the OHL playoffs, Quinnipiac takes the Frozen Four title, uh, and plenty more before overtime. Before that, a couple of quick items. Uh, first, Comedy Night of Hope in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation is April 13th at 6.30 p.m. at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. We encourage you to head out there. Uh, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. Uh, special shout out to Cranks Catering for uh, providing uh, dinner and sponsoring the event. It's a great, great time. Uh, it all benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation Thursday, April 13th at 6.15 p.m. Uh, a lot of great laughs and uh, supports uh, the JDF's fight against substance use disorder. So again, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Secondly, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. One quick component of that was uh, a surprise that we had for folks was these co-branded official Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast embroidered hats. So... Uh, yeah, that's the Winged Wheel Podcast logo on the screen right here, next to obviously the Red Wings logo on front. Uh, awesome to see the Winged Wheel, and they're great hats. They're I'm wearing. Yeah, them they're right really now. nice. They're actually they they look way better in person too. I'm, I know we've tweeted out a bunch of pictures about them, and they still look awesome. But once we finally saw them in person, I I was a total believer in them. 
yeah, like it's the quality is is fantastic. So if you bought a ticket to Wayne Beal Podcast Day at the LCA, when you entered the beer garden for the post game event, that's when you would have got your hat. Uh, we know not everyone was able to make it. Also, uh, because I am a zombie at those events sometimes, and I'm just trying to do, uh, you know, my best out there. A few people came up and asked if we ran out of the hats, and I thought they meant the beanies at the merch table. So if you came up to me and asked about the hats, and you meant these caps that you got with your ticket, and not the beanies, uh, you can still get your hat afterwards. We have all of them that folks didn't pick up. So what you need to do is email with the same email address that you use to purchase your Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA tickets. Email pod at wingedwheelpodcast.com. Again, that's P-O-D at wingedwheelpodcast.com. And uh, let us know your name and how many tickets. And we will be able to verify that uh, your hat was indeed not picked up. And then we can uh, take care of getting your uh, hat sent out to you. Also, because folks are wondering, we do have extras that we'll be uh, giving away uh, and then using also to uh, raise some uh, support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation over the next little while as well. So we have more to hand out, It's uh, and uh, we're happy to know that, that it's a hit. Probably something we'll do in the future too. All right, let's, let's cover where the Red Wings are at right now because they are through 79 games of the season. It is amazing that a week from today we're going to be talking about the end of the Red Wings season and doing a season in review. But uh, let's start with that Buffalo game. A 7-6... Buffalo win in a shootout in a game where Buffalo really needed to be, well, you know, they needed those two points and you would almost expect that they would have done what Pittsburgh would have done uh, to Detroit the next game. But Detroit came out firing and that was a game that they were not willing to let go. Hurts in the standings collecting meaningless points, but it's good to have that reminder that, you know, the team didn't give up and this team still has some pride and some reasons to play. Um, I don't know how much we can actually take from that game in particular, though. Detroit did come up with some energy. Buffalo obviously um, matched that energy. It was chaotic. It was messy. It's one of those ones. You know how the coaches in postgame interviews were like, we're just going to throw out that game tape. I feel like both teams probably didn't review that game tape afterwards. No. The takeaway for the Red Wings was exactly what you said, Brad. The Red Wings stayed in it. And, you know, I tweeted out after the game. It's like, yeah, the Red Wings are points-wise about where we expected them to be. So despite how high the highs were in, like, say, February or going back to November, they did settle into where kind of they are on paper. Never mind the path that they took to get there and who's hurt and all that. This is, it can be a little bit disappointing to know that it's not really that big of a lurch forward in the uh, the rebuild. But this fight, this competitiveness and the unwillingness to kind of get completely rolled in these games, it's a little bit of like a, uh, a you know, your broad strokes and how does this actually translate to produ- production? It's not a real thing, like a, a, a good feeling kind of thing. But it is good to see that this team has the fight in them. Because I think, and we've said this a few times over the course of the season, in seasons past, when games got away, they got away and they went away. Uh, They have a long way to go still. Like There is a lot to do before this is a really competitive team in the playoffs, for example. But the fact that they were able to take this to Buffalo, you know, lottery odds be damned, like you said, Brad, when Perron scored that goal, the LCA erupted, and for, for good reason. I guess the other nice thing to see from that game is Edvinson gets his second goal of the season. Mind you, it was uh, mostly just a, a turnaround wrist shot from the blue line. But hey, you got to get those on net and it went in. So good for him. And Berggren's now at 15 as well uh, off a really bad turnover by Buffalo. So yeah, it may have been a loss and an overtime point, but uh, there's still some some small victories to take from that game. Yeah, just to quickly recap the scoring, uh, Zarnik actually had a really nice shot uh, to tie the game uh, for Detroit and open the the Red Wings scoring and Larkin on the power play from none other than Raymond Insider, which is a stat line we're going to see plenty of over the years to come. Uh, Chase on, as usual, uh, on the power play from uh, Larkin and Raymond. Like you said, Evan Edvinson also tallied in there with a bank shot. That counted. Simon Edvinson was chuckling as he as it went in, so it's like, hey, he knows exactly how that puck went in. He doesn't think he scored a highlight real goal, but it's good to see those go in for him. And then, yeah, Berggren and then Perron to tie it, to send it to um, to overtime. And then Raymond was the only one who converted in the in the shootout. Uh, 
one of the big parts of that game, though, was uh, there was a goal that that Buffalo scored, and just prior, Jeff Skinner uh, caught. It looked like caught Raymond up up high with a cross check, or just you know intentionally collided with him in the neutral zone, and. Larkin peeled away from the Buffalo rush or the Buffalo scoring opportunity as it was happening and was a big factor in why that Buffalo goal went in. And he peeled away to go after Jeff Skinner. And it was pandemonium. Like he went after him. And, you know, Alex Tuck, who's not a small guy, was had essentially Larkin in a headlock trying to hold him back from getting at Skinner. And Larkin was still throwing punches at Skinner, who was essentially goading him. Uh, and I don't think he was expecting to eat a fist from Larkin, but uh, Larkin was relentless in going after him. In the same scrum, uh, I think it was Wallman got all of Middlestat's, you know, shoulder pads, jersey, et cetera, off of him and, and was feeding him. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about calling it a line brawl, but close enough to it. And some split opinion on whether or not it was good for the Red Wings captain to go defend their young star player in, in game 79 when the team is not going to, you know, make the playoffs. Uh but at the same time, it did lead to a goal. So what did you guys think of the scrum and, and Larkin's kind of uh, decision to step away from the play? Well, it being game 79 and essentially, you know, I think the Red Wings were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, if not almost by that point. That's an argument in favor of doing what he did. You know, we've talked at length uh, over the last few years about how the Red Wings don't have enough you know, not face punchers is the right word, but guys willing to do this sort of thing when this sort of thing happens. And if this game mattered to the Red Wings in the standings in any positive way, yeah, you'd be furious at Larkin. Like the goal is way more important than making a point. But given the context and given how much shit a lot of the Red Wings top players, especially the young, uh, young guy like Lucas Raymond have had to go through this year. Yeah, you make the point you're not messing around with our guys anymore. You, you do not get carte blanche on this. If you cross check our guy, you're getting punched in the face. Uh, the only real criticism I have of the whole thing is I don't think the Red Wings went far enough. Like if you're in for a penny, you should be in for a pound. And I think too many Red Wings let too many guys off the hook in that scrum. You know, there's five guys on the ice for either team and Jeff Skinner is being, and don't get me wrong, Jeff Skinner should be reacting exactly as it is. Hey, you're going to try and punch me in the face as my team's scoring a goal. I'm going to let you know we just scored a goal, and I'm going to rub that as deep under the skin as I can. Um, so if Alex Tuck is occupied with Dylan Larkin and that's going on, someone else needs to come punch Jeff Skinner in the face. As much as I've got the boomer window cranked open right now, that's the reality of what needs to happen in this situation. Don't half-ass, don't half-ass it if you're going to go do it. And obviously Larkin got um up, uh, got held so he he couldn't do everything he needed to do so I would have liked to have seen a few more people jump into the fray um, but no I'm I'm fully on board with doing it it's the exact perfect time to send a message that yeah you can't screw around with us um, unfortunate result don't think they went far enough so you know lesson learned we'll see uh, we'll see what uh, Stevie does in response in free agency this summer if this is an issue that gets addressed yeah, so the takeaway is if it's a Donnybrook, it's a full Donnybrook. Don't stand around, everyone throw something. Yeah, I I could see the argument, honestly. I was in favor of it, but I'm like, I'm also, I'm like, this team has, what, 79 points at the time or 80 points. I'm like, I, yeah, lo- players like Raymond, players like Berggren, the other team has been beating up on them because they are a little bit easy to push around. And like, that's a fair strategy, but the way to counter that is to go punch them in the nose if they do it too often. So I was in favor of it. But I could absolutely see the the argument of you can't be stepping away from the play if you're trying to put up the front of every game matters even when you're out. And then I saw Jeff Skinner's face like taunting and goading Dylan Larkin. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You don't get to punk on a a, a star player who's a little bit smaller and then, you know, goad the team captain who's pissed off about it right after. It all became very, very justifiable for me. I can I can totally sympathize with the other side of it, but I'm with you, Brad. I was like, yeah, you you Sorry, you got to square up with them after that. It's, that's a message sending thing right there. Well, that's uh, that's the Red Wings Buffalo game. They ended up losing that seven uh, six in the shootout. They did make it interesting. Uh, the the folks who really want the tank to be maximized <laughs> probably groaned a little bit when uh, when Perron scored, but it was an exciting goal. Uh, and then the Red Wings next game was uh, like we said last or yesterday afternoon, Wing Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. There was a. a 
hot second there with where Pew Suter scored to make it 3-1 off a beautiful passing play. I believe the assist ended up going to Kopp and Raymond, uh, but overall a great passing play for the Red Wings. But other than that, Pittsburgh just steamrolled them, like dominated them. Not for the whole game. Uh, let's not forget, seven minutes into the first period, the shots were one to nothing. That's true, yeah. So Detroit's yeah. strategy of allowing absolutely nothing to happen at either end of the rink was in full effect for about half of the first period there. Um, yeah, it was kind of good that we were a little busy during the game because it gave us something else to think about because the game wasn't doing a whole hell of a lot of that. Um, Edvinson looked more comfortable this game, though. He was on for a couple goals against. I wouldn't say any of them were his fault, but... This is the first game we've seen, at least I'd say I've seen him assert himself in the offensive zone multiple times. He had that one ridiculous um, cutback between two Pittsburgh defenders to end up right in the slot for a pretty good chance. Can't remember if the shot got blocked or, or, or what happened after, but yeah, it was it was it was good to see him get more comfortable out there. We see him throwing more jukes. It almost burned him the one time where it led to a turnover in the neutral zone, but. If he's consistently making things happen, uh, you can handle the turnovers every once in a while. That just comes with the territory of a player who has that much skill. Um, and obviously, the only way he's going to know how to pick his spots better is by trial and error and by experience and by doing it more. So I was happy to see him get comfortable because, you know, we've all been mostly happy with his defensive game so far this year. But outside of a couple bank shots, he hasn't done a ton offensively. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that as at least one big positive of the game is seeing as that was something he was trying more. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot recently, but it really is remarkable to see how much the work on the fundamentals has improved Simon Edmondson as a player from training camp to now. He doesn't look like a different player. He's still playing his style, but just with a little bit more refinement, a little bit more uh, of the right pace and a little bit better decision making. There's a ways to go still, but... You can tell by watching him. This this guy's going to be a good player. They, they have him on the right path. Cool calmness uh, and confidence about his game. Like he's very silky, and uh, when he gets that his game refined, it's going to be uh, quite enjoyable to watch. So that's the Red Wings' two games since we last spoke. They have three left on the season uh, tomorrow, Monday night, um, April tenth on. Uh, against Dallas, 7 p.m. Eastern at the LCA. That is the season closer uh, at home for Detroit. And then they have two on the road to wrap up Tuesday against Carolina at 7 Eastern. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. And then the final game of the season is at Tampa Bay in Florida uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern as well. And then that's the Red Wings season. So we're almost there. That said, let's look at the standings. Uh, the Red Wings are currently sitting 23rd right now in the NHL uh, in reverse order. So these are the Connor Bedard lottery standings, Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philly, Washington, Vancouver, and then Detroit. So that is Detroit in 10th spot in the uh, Connor Bedard lottery standings. Vancouver has 79 points. Washington has 77 points. Detroit has 80. All three of those teams have 79 games played. St. Louis, uh, who's in 22nd uh, overall, has 81 points. Only one more than Detroit, and Detroit has a game in hand. So, you know, Detroit can move here. They could move up or down. They're not Phillies out of the question, so the the lowest they could finish is, is 25th, so 8th best lottery odds, or um, more importantly, 8th in terms of pre-draft or pre-lottery draft standings. Uh, but that's what folks will be watching uh, towards the end of the season. And it's not like the Red Wings have an easy schedule to close out, like, Dallas, Carolina, Tampa Bay, those are all teams who are not necessarily all playing for something for positioning, but those are teams who are all gearing up for the playoffs at the very least. So uh, not going to be easy marks for them. So if you're you're rooting for the, the draft lottery standings, by all rights, it looks like Detroit could settle in this 10th, 9th, or even 8th spot. So we'll see. Can I nitpick? Yeah. I want to nitpick a little bit because... Uh, I know Prashanth, Ken, and I were talking about this a bit in the live episode. We do not, and we should not, as a fan base, care about the draft lottery odds. It's not happening. We've been hurt before. <laughs> Prashanth phrased it the best yesterday. He's been hurt enough times before to know what to expect. And a 5% to a 3% difference, who cares? 
I am not thinking about the lottery odds. You shouldn't be thinking about the lottery odds. You listening shouldn't be thinking about the lottery odds. The only reason we should care about tanking right now is just to the actual pick that it ends up being, because this is a draft where there could be a significant difference uh, between 8th and 11th if you really want to focus on positional preference. There are going to be some centers in the area of what the Red Wings need. So if the higher they climb in the in the lottery odds, the more likely they are to get a Will Smith and Oliver Moore, uh, you know, whoever you are focusing on as a player of need for the Red Wings. Yeah, that's that's essentially what the focus is. It has to be. If you're sitting here hoping based on like a at best like what one in thirty three chance or whatever it might be for the Red Wings, I, uh, all the power to you. But mathematically, historically, the vibes, it's all bad in terms of winning the draft lottery. It's just not what this season is for Detroit. And that's okay. You saw what it was like playing against Montreal, and they currently have the fifth best odds. It's a whole different, you know, stratosphere. Let's look at the wild card standings, though, because those are really interesting. In the East, Florida, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh are in this race where everyone's holding in lockstep. I made fun of them a little while back that they were all kind of stumbling over each other while the Islanders were the only ones doing anything. Florida and the Islanders are both at 91 points. Pittsburgh is one spot outside the wild card, also with 80 games played like the other two with 90 points. Buffalo has two games in hand, uh, but has 85 points. So they, you know, outside shot or whatever, but this could get interesting. It is in Detroit's best interest for the Islanders to fall out. So with two games left for Florida, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh, you want Pittsburgh to win, you want Florida to keep winning, and you need the Islanders to falter a little bit, at least. Pittsburgh has both Columbus and Chicago as two of their remaining games, so their strength of schedule could not be any easier. The Islanders do have... with them on that one. Yeah, the Islanders have Washington and Montreal, though, so... It's uh, it's going to be the ultimate tank on either side of these games yeah. as their opponents are looking forward to Connor Bedard. And as we uh, await for the final standings in the East Division, uh, the wild card spot, the final wild card spot in the West isn't settled. But hey, Seattle, first time in history, they clinched a playoff spot. Historic. Actually, really impressive their turnaround this season. They okay, took them twice as long as Vegas. That's right. Yeah. You know, Vegas has really set an unreasonable standard. <laughs> I know. If it wasn't for Vegas, this Seattle making the playoffs in year two would be a massive deal because all expansion teams of previous eras, if they made the playoffs in the first five years, they were a remarkable franchise. Now Seattle gets the seventh seed in uh, their second year. And everybody's like, oh, it's cool, I guess. Neat. Let's jump to the AHL quickly. Uh, obviously, we know Carter Mazur has made his uh, professional debut with the Grand Rapids Griffins, and some kind of debut it's been. Through the first five games, three goals and two assists for five points. Uh, awesome to see from Carter Mazur and continues to kind of be that player who has been consistently impressive uh, since being drafted by the Red Wings through his NCAA career and now with Grand Rapids making an impression at the end of the season. So, you know, small sample size, we always say don't, don't, you know, blow things out of proportion, but for him to come in and immediately make an impact and and get that production going is is a continuation of a lot of green flags, so to speak, for uh, for Carter Mazur. And even though it's only been a handful of goals, the fact that he's continued to produce in different ways, which was his big strength um, in the NCAA, is a really really good sign to see. At least in a small sample size, it has translated up levels. Quite honestly, one of Detroit's most interesting prospects, even if he's, you know, if he ends up as like a a middle six energy winger or a guy who can play up and down the lineup as like a Bertuzzi light, that's obviously a phenomenal outcome for for the kind of player he was drafted as and where he was picked. But I think there's a world of opportunity for him to come into this lineup. And and I don't even know that we or the Red Wings know where, where his true ceiling is. So... Uh, his progression will be, will be really curious to watch. And I've said before, and I'll say again, he's probably my pick for an outside shot to make some noise uh, at Red Wings training camp next season. Speaking of prospects, Amadeus Lombardi in the uh, OHL playoffs, Saginaw and Flint are going to game seven, but through six games, he has actually the same stat line, three goals and two assists. So uh, he's continued to do well and uh, 
seeing him in a, a playoff atmosphere, seeing any kind of Red Wings player prospect in meaningful games right now, and I don't mean just like end of season, this is nice, but meaningful games, also good to see. Yeah, he's had a good series so far, and it might be all for naught with the Game 7 tomorrow night. And, you know, again, we just talked about sample sizes with Mazer, but a Game 7 sample, that's not a bad uh, indicator of how much a player can perform under pressure. And, you know, Lombardi's had a good series and a very hotly contested series. I think that was the might have been the 4-5 series, actually, uh, in the OHL's West uh, Conference. So if Lombardi can come out with all the pressure and have a huge game, Oh, that's a that's an absolutely phenomenal sign if it happens, because, you know, we're obviously very pleasantly surprised with his entire season so far. Um, So let's hope he can do the exact opposite of what Windsor did. Keeping it in the OHL playoffs and just to rip off the bandaid here, you're already smirking, Brad. This is so annoying. Devastating to me, the uh, the hometown Windsor boy, the. the one seed Windsor Spitfires and Shane Wright get upset with the sweep for nothing at the hands of the Kitchener Rangers. Brad, even Evan here, actually, take your shots. You win. Ugh. I, I don't need to do too much smack talk because the OHL has been around for a really, really long time. So anytime something happens that has literally never happened in league history before, that's all I need. First time an eight seed has ever swept a one seed in the OHL. And uh, Kitchener coming out on top of that, that'll that'll get me through the offseason. Shane Wright has so much narrative working against him now again. You know, after being after slipping in the draft and after not playing a lot at the start of the, the Seattle se- season and eventually going back to the OHL, it's not indicative of who he's going to be as an NHL player, of course, but uh, people are going to be talking about that. Until he does something to shake that off, that's going to be the latest tag on Shane Wright, which is supposed to be NHL caliber player, can't help best team in series win a single game. He had three points, so it's not like he was terrible, but even watching the series, he he didn't look like Shane Wright in that series. And, and don't get me wrong, Kitchener was better than a, a usual eight seed just because they loaded up in the middle of the season and just they could never get it together. And it looks like it it started to come together late in the season, or at least in that series. Because the if you remember, coming out of the World Juniors, the whole conversation around Shane Wright was Kingston still had his rights, but Kingston was awful this year. And Seattle didn't want to send him to junior to you know, go get beat up on every night in Kingston. And they wanted him to go to a top team, have a good year, go on a deep playoff run. So I can't imagine how the Kraken are feeling right now to see Windsor, you know, pay an absolute haul to get him. And they acquired a bunch of other players just to go out in the first round, not even winning a game. The Kraken can't be happy. They really can't. Because this is the exact opposite of well, this is exact exactly what they were hoping to avoid was his season to end early. Good for Kitchener. Shane Wright has a big offseason ahead of him. Probably Coachella Valley is his next stop, but uh, an interesting uh, uh, a player to watch outside of, of Detroit. Uh, jumping over to the Frozen Four, Quinnipiac continues to shock and continues to impress. After beating Michigan in the semis, uh, tie the game late against Minnesota and won, what was it, 10 seconds into overtime to take the Frozen Four title? 10 seconds into overtime, right off the rush. Absolutely insane. Good for them. I love college hockey so much. It is so incredibly hyped up, and that was an, a, like such an impressive run by Quinnipiac. The, their first ever national championship, uh, Buddy, who scored the goal, Pulls the Solani Selly, chucking the glove, shooting it down as all his teammates mob him. Absolutely love it. I mean, state of Connecticut, they kind of got college sports cornered right now because UConn gets the national basketball championship and then Quinnipiac gets hockey a couple weeks later. Got to be riding an all-time high in that state. Yeah, Quinnipiac used to be like an absolutely terrible hockey program as well. And so they've re- obviously really turned it around. So hats off to them to to go up 
um, against the likes of Michigan and, and Minnesota and, 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 and take that home. So, um, yeah, college hockey was great this, this year. All right. And, uh, jumping over to some NHL news again, uh, I'd loathe to have it happen against the, the Detroit Red Wings, but Sidney Crosby reached 1500 career points in that game against, uh, the Red Wings. So that was a big, uh, NHL marker and the Boston Bruins, Again, involving the Red Wings. Uh, they tied, and probably by the time you're listening to this, will have passed. But uh, the 95-96 Red Wings obviously had the record for most wins in an NHL season with 62. And the Bruins have already tied that uh, with games left to play. So the Bruins are a historically uh, good team. And Brad, you're checking the score right now. I think they're up late against Philadelphia. What was it, 4-2 last I checked? Or three, three thirty left. But the crazy part of this game might not be them getting the record, assuming they are going to get it shortly. Uh, the crazy thing in this game is David Posternak shoveling in a hat trick to get to sixty goals on the year. Two sixty goal scores. David Posternak sixty goal scorer. Eat your heart out, Austin Matthews. Unreal. And McDavid's at sixty four with two games left. Is it? Uh, two hat tricks in a row. Just do it, Connor. Give us and a central now, scorer. Well, McDavid's at 150 points. First guy to do that since 96, and only the sixth player in NHL history to ever do that. This season's insane. I don't Incre- like it. Sucks that our team isn't in the playoffs and isn't more relevant because I don't think, as fans, we uh, truly appreciate just how many batshit good storylines there are in the league this year. The uh, obviously we hate the Bruins, but like. Them setting the wins record in an age of salary cap and parity. I understand no ties, shootouts, whatever. Still crazy. Pasternak, McDavid breaking 60 goals. Edmonton has 300 point scores. Seattle makes the playoffs as the second year expansion team. Like just an absolutely absurd level of what the hell is going on in a lot of the best ways imaginable. One of the crazy storylines to me is Connor McDavid is a, if he gets one more goal, he ties the season high for Ovechkin's total goals in a season. So the fact that the greatest goal scorer of all time could get passed by Connor McDavid, um, in terms of single season goals is just, that's just crazy to me that Connor McDavid just decided this year he's going to just beat everyone, have the most goals in the league and, He'll just do it because he wants to. Leon Dreisaitl is a really great interview. Obviously, like all world hockey player, but he like a fantastic interview. And he he said a lot over this past offseason. I remember him telling uh, uh, Fridge and Merrick, you know, McDavid can score like or better than anyone else in the league. He just has to be a little bit more selfish. And uh, uh, Dreisaitl and Edmonton were pushing McDavid to do that for a while. And it really does. Like, Evan, you're right. It really does look like McDavid just up and decided to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. Not that it comes with no effort. I don't think anyone who's at the, the pinnacle of a sport does, you know, comes in and, and exhibits no effort. McDavid works his ass off. He has a reputation for that. But you're watching something special. Like, yeah, uh, Matthews as a pure goal scorer, absolutely like, probably going to be the best of his generation or unless McDavid decides he's not Ovechkin will go down as the probably the greatest goal scorer of all time and and you're watching a guy who can replicate what they're doing and also put up 80 90 assists on the other side of it like it is it's not normal like it's it's a freakish thing and he's like one of one on the planet who can do this right now really I don't know how any how there's any other way to describe it and you're right Brad what a great time to watch hockey because you have this team who really at, at one point in the season didn't have it all together and wasn't look like looking like they might even be in a secure playoff spot and now they're they could be the favorites even compared to to Colorado or let's say they come out of the west and they're facing uh, a Boston in the east for the cup finals like would you really want to play Connor McDavid in the Stanley Cup finals like that it is so so exciting to watch well I hope we get to watch a lot of playoff games with him I'm just into that statement of, do you really want to play Connor McDavid? Period. Full stop. I, I don't want to do that in the preseason, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Forget regular season or playoffs or Stanley Cup final. And yeah, you know, Vegas is playing their backup goalie because Leonard's out for the season. McCarr just got hurt uh, for the Avs. Who knows when Landis Gog's going to be back? The, the West is wide open. If Edmonton is 
ever going to do it. This is the year. They have 300-point scores. They have a wide-open conference. They have McDavid playing at a level of hockey. We may have never seen and may never see again. So, you know, I'm not saying they have to because they'll never get another chance, but man, it'll be hard to say they're ever going to have a better chance than they currently do. Yeah, we're about to enter what is the best season of all, which isn't spring, but playoff hockey season. And really the first round where like every single hour of the night there's a game happening is, in my mind, one of the best experiences in sport, period. Um, still breaks my heart that the Red Wings aren't yet in it, although we're getting there and we'll, we'll talk about that in the season in review. Uh, but that's the NHL news for now. Again, like we said, folks, this is a little bit of a going to be a shorter episode, so uh, we're not done yet. We want to actually uh, quickly recap here a few things, uh, some special announcements. Uh, but Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. Uh, first of all, so that is the best weather we've ever had for one of those. I don't know who called in a favor for that, but thank you. The weather that the the Masters needed at Augusta National came over to to Detroit. What a gorgeous day for opening weekend. Uh, so really thankful for that. And uh, yeah, it was, we can't have asked for a better event. You all sold out 500 tickets with like a month in advance, which is, has blown our minds. You, you raised so much good money for the Jamie Daniels foundation. Uh, we saw thousands, like literally thousands of you at our merch table in the concourse at little Caesars arena before the game. Uh, you know, we had thousands of items of merch to hand out and they were all gone. So to all of you uh, who came back, uh, this wasn't your first event or for those of you who met us for the first time and and waited in line to, to come see us at that table uh, right under the Gordie Howe mural. Uh, thank you so much for coming out. It means the world to us. Um, we we hope you enjoyed the, you know, the rally towels and things. And uh, it was really great meeting you all. And yeah, the post game event went great. The live episode was awesome. The drinks were flowing. The doors of the uh, beer garden were open. Had some nice weather in there. Everyone had their sweet winged wheel podcast, Detroit Red Wings co-branded hats on. And uh, I don't know if these that we are getting better at doing them every time. And it just gave it made me so excited for our next one starting uh, next season. I I had a blast. Ken wanted to extend his thank you as well. So obviously that live show featured Ken Daniels and uh, uh, he's always so blown away by all of your support. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. No. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Every event, I still have the mentality, I'm going to show up, we're going to walk up to our table, and we're going to stare across at an empty room. Every like, cause it, it just blows me away. Why do people listen to us? Why do people want to meet us? But every time, it's incredibly humbling. It's incredibly appreciated. It's so much fun. I say this in the best way imaginable, uh, like for all the good reasons you can imagine. By the time the event's over... And I walk out of that arena and I, I get into a quiet area. My social battery is just at zero. Like there is nothing left. And again, all good reasons, just getting to meet and talk with all of you before the game, after the game. Um, it was just amazing. And, you know, I know a bunch of you, uh, you know, we're talking to Mika and Hank and, you know, you recognize them, give them high fives. And um, it, it's worth noting, like that makes their day. They, they're a little shy. Uh, meeting new people for the first time, but afterwards, it's all they can talk about. They absolutely love it. Mika's like, Dad, why do people know me? <laughs> it's like, you're a big deal, kid. You're a big deal. And she, she rides that high for like weeks on end afterwards. So yeah, I, I can't say thank you enough. It's just absolutely insane every time. And it, it doesn't ever seem to wear off. And even though we're totally gassed by the end of those days, uh, I think it actually does recharge us to to keep pushing forward with the podcast and and see where we can continue to improve and what what can we do bigger and better next. So um I know I sound horrible right now. I fell asleep watching the Masters. Um but these meetups they only get me more excited to con- continue to do this and it's all thanks to everybody who shows up for those events or tags us and stuff with with some of their merch uh for the podcast. I could just like you guys it just it blows my mind and I have pinch me moments all the time. So speaking of getting, uh, growing the show and bigger and better, um, one thing we've been, you know, this is something we've been talking about for a long time, but we wanted to do it the right way, which was expand winged wheel podcast content in a way. And and this show isn't going anywhere and, and we're going to continue to build on what we've built. 
and uh, unfortunately, we haven't figured out how to add more hours in the day. But we ha- what we have figured out a way to do is add uh, folks who have the same values in terms of quality content that we want to put out. So uh, I guess this is the launch of a you know winged wheel podcast network of sorts. Uh, so a new show produced and brought to you by the Winged Wheel Podcast, but hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro is uh, is called Expected by Whom? And yes, that is the Mickeyism that you heard at a previous Winged Wheel Podcast Night uh, event. Uh, Expected by Whom is a new hockey podcast that's going to explore the world of hockey and the NHL through some unique lenses uh, like advanced analytics and uncovering the human side of hockey. So it's going to be uh, all across that spectrum. Obviously, we know what Prashant brings in statistical analysis of the game and its strategy and Sean's uh, incredible ability to write. He writes for uh, his Substack, Substack Shapshots and uh, has uncovered a lot of cool Stories like, uh, for example, Jake Wallman, the international free agent and the lover of Texas Roadhouse. So uh, those two are going to have an excellent show. We're really excited that it's coming in under the Winged Wheel podcast kind of umbrella of content. Uh, Thrilled to be a part of it. And uh, they're very excited too. So we announced that at the event. Uh, So we're really excited for you all to tune in. Next Thursday is going to be the first, or this Thursday, I should say, will be the first time it records. So the episode won't post uh, too long after that. So stay tuned for more on that and I believe they already have the expected by whom uh, Twitter handle so go, go give them a follow as well so even though Winged Wheel Podcast date the LCA is uh, all wrapped up and uh, the Red Wing season soon will be uh, there's a lot of good stuff to come expected by whom our uh, Red Wing season in review the draft uh, content is going to start to kick into high gear just because it's the off season doesn't mean it's the off season for us yet so we're, we're really really excited for this uh, summer full of content and appreciate you all uh, sticking with us. And if you're tuning in for the first time, I promise you we don't always sound this tired. And as we speak, the uh, Boston Bruins have set the NHL record for most wins in a season with 63. So a Red Wings record falls that uh, stood for quite some time. All right. Let's jump into overtime here on uh, this shortened episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime and all good things that the Winged Wheel Podcast is able to do is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, so to speak, uh, you get access to our uh, Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. You're entered into all of our giveaways automatically. We've given away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority went to Patreon supporters. Not only that, you also get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones, where we answer any questions uh, that didn't make the main show. We let loose, have fun, and uh, just generally uh, hang out. It's a good time. So let's take some questions from patrons here. Uh, The first one from... Let's start uh, with uh, Jonathan Melwish here saying, Did Hank enjoy his first NHL game? Oh, he was on sensory overload the whole time. He had the best time ever. Um, you could tell for, he's only three, so about 10 minutes left in the third period, he was just wiped. He was kind of starting to nod off in his chair and and started looking around. But yeah, with everything going on, um, and he eventually did get his second win, I'm sure as uh, everybody heard during the live recording after. Um, yeah, he, he was absolutely loving every second of it. From Apple Ciders here, they say, imagine the draft gods smile upon the Red Wings and they end up getting Bedard or Fantilli. Where do they slot in game one of next season? Second line center. And I don't think there's really a debate for anywhere else. Maybe third line center if they want to shelter them a little bit, but yeah. No, no, they can't. Look at Ryan. Ryan. I know. Second line center. Trying to be a cool guy here. Uh, the follow-up, and you're going to want to answer this one, Evan, is uh, also what are your opinion on live team logos on the Masters polos? So part of the deal with live players and their apparel is their team logo or name or their team logo has to be on their apparel. So uh, it is what it is, I suppose. But yeah, at first I was like, I don't think Dustin Johnson went to Alabama because his team logo looks exactly like the Alabama A. Um, it's Bush League. I'll say that. What? How many? Four or five of them finished in the top 10, though? 
Yeah, yeah. Phil Mickelson uh, turned back to turn back Father Time and uh, put up an all time performance today, but uh, they didn't get the win. Coyote season tickets in Tempe has a really good uh, draft question saying, I keep seeing Zach Benson being compared to Braden Point. I've also seen many writings stating that Zach Benson is not a center in the NHL. Both can't be true. So which do you all believe is the case? I don't think he's Braden Point. Um, I, I know Braden Point is always the one everybody points to when they're a small center. Um, I, I don't think he plays a super similar style to Point at all. Um, I could see him ending up at either the wing or center when it, when he gets to the NHL, cause he's not super fast and he doesn't have an elite shot, which means it's going to be tough for him to create offense, but he's really good on his edges. He plays really quick. Um, and he's super smart. You know, it's always easier for us to relate him to Red Wings players. So if you're, if you're looking for a style comparison, who does this guy play like? And then you can kind of argue where he'll center. He has a lot of Jonathan Berggren traits to him. He plays faster than Berggren does. And obviously, if you're getting picked in the top 10, the goal is for to be a lot better than Jonathan Berggren, which I think he will be. But in terms of he doesn't have a good enough shot to create goals from a distance, and he's not fast enough to burn guys to create goals. Look at a lot of the ways Berggren's able to create offense. That's what you're going to get a lot of uh, from Zach Benson, just in with, with a little more dynamic elements to his game. All right, this question from uh, Joseph. Ryan Hannah's professor at his big-time fancy doctor school. Thank you, Joseph, for your ever-entertaining uh, usernames. says, thanks for a great weekend, fellas. Congrats on all of your success and cheers to a bright future. Coming this fall, the frickin' Catalina wine mixer. Uh, the question is, so there's a bunch of right-handed D available in the upcoming free agent class as of now, according to cat friendly, you've got your old men like Eric Johnson, Shattenkirk and Strawman, who are a hard no. You've got your guys who will likely be overpaid or priced out of the second D pair role like Severson, Klingberg, Dumba. You've got your guys who might be seeing inflated importance by taking advantage of being on a good teams like Scott Mayfield, Ratko, Gudas and Connor Carrick. So you don't really know what you're going to get. Then there's the corpses of Luke Shannon, Dylan McElrath. That leads us to perhaps who could be an unheralded diamond in the rough. So tell us about quintessential guy Calgary's Michael Stone. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Oh, Calgary will bring him back. <laughs> oh, Calgary once bought Michael Stone out only to re-sign him in that same summer. So I, I yeah. have a hard time ever seeing him leave Calgary. But quintessential guy. Uh, absolute bomb of a shot and not much else to write home about. So sure. Um, I don't know. I, for what the Red Wings are missing, I'm leaning towards Mayfield or Gudis as the targets. Cause one, I think they will be pretty cheap, all things considered. And I don't think they'll require a lot of term and they do kind of answer what the Red Wings need right now, albeit in a very mediocre, unspectacular way. But so did Ole Mata last offseason. So sometimes those can work out for you. Yeah. And you know what? As I think about this team and you really start to think about the holes that they have. First of all, there are, there, there are too many for it to be an ultra competitive team. But there aren't so many in the past where when people would ask us, you know, what are the holes in this roster? And we'd all just chuckle and say the roster. Uh, first, I think of that third pair, which was just so too many games exposed. Like you can't run Hag Lindstrom next year or Hag Osterley or whatever it is like. If you're serious about trying to move forward into that wildcard spot, you you have to have three viable pairs. And yeah, you need something to fill in the gap that Hronik left. Hronik obviously had the best season of his life with the Red Wings before being traded to Vancouver. But that second pair right D spot, I don't know. You don't. You never know what the free agency market is going to bring. Uh, but yeah, the way it's shaking out, Severson will probably be priced out. But if Eisenman can sneak in there and get him for something reasonable, I would love to have Severson. But I agree. Mayfield. I know Max has brought up Mayfield. I know Ken on the live show brought up Mayfield, and I really do agree. I think he'd be a great fit. And Radko Gudas, you know, you love to hate that guy, but having him on your team would be excellent. And the Red Wings do lack snarl. Um, one of the parts of the conversation of, you know, was it great that Dylan Larkin skated away from the play to to go, you know, punch Jeff Skinner is it sucks that it has to be your captain sending that message. It's not a bad thing, like great leadership from your captain, depending on your opinion, but really you should have a guy 
who isn't one of the most important players on your team in terms of actually putting the puck in the net. So uh, Radko Gudas would solve some problems there. Evan, get off your damn phone and pay attention for once. Uh, says, how big of an effect does the psychology of a curse slash bad karma in places like Toronto or Vancouver have on team success? If you could hypothetically go back to last year and flip the rosters of Toronto and Tampa Bay in their first round matchup, would the outcome also flip or would the psychology of the curse ensure that the team with the Maple Leaf on their chest always has a significant disadvantage? There's more to the question here, but in general, I'll say this. For players who have been there and have expectations, it's a real thing. Like the mental weight of expectation in those kinds of cities is absolutely palpable. I don't know really in North American sports what the uh, what the the comparison is. I don't know that there is a comparison that's as raw as significant as like you know the 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 weight of the curse or the expectations in Toronto with the Maple Leafs. Uh, what it really does is it adds a ton of pressure and it really exposes those who can handle the pressure and those who can't. That said, like it goes down to every level too, like every single mistake. Like That's what the playoffs are about. You have to win 16 games. You're never going to win 16 games flawlessly. It's all about attrition. I mean, I know people are going to get sick of this, but look at look at how the Masters started. John Rahm won, and he started with, what, a three-putt, a four-putt on the first hole? Like, it was about buckling down and and just playing your game, and that's what you have to do in the playoffs. But when you're the Leafs, for example, or you're Vancouver, and you you make one blunder at a bad time when you're up 3-1 in a series, for example, just to name something random, completely random out of nowhere, it just gets magnified and it snowballs, and, and these guys get in their own heads. And... I'll, I'll say this. It's not just the players. It's the coaches. Like the coaches are a part of it too. Like they have a much bigger task than other coaches in the NHL, keeping that room aligned. And I think as, uh, as we get to a more player empowered, as we have been in a more player empowered era compared to, you know, the Scotty Bowman rule with an iron fist era of coaching. Like it's, they have an, a, a near impossible job when uh, they have, things like what Toronto has in front of them. That said, I think this is their best opportunity this year to to move beyond the first round. Like It is stacked in their favor with how Tampa is going right now. Give me a contract, boys. Uh, says, hey guys, it was nice to see you yesterday at Winged Wheel Podcast Day, and I finally finished the hat signature with Evans. I'm, you know, I will say I'm disappointed in folks. You didn't get Evan to sign enough things. I did not see his, uh, his marker hand working hard enough, so we'll have to make up for that uh, next event. Certainly wasn't the the all time high of signatures, but it was decent. It was it was good enough for me. Anyway, <laughs> what strategy did you go with? Because I know you were joking around the day before of uh, alternating your actual signature versus just writing Evan with uh, a full fist on the marker. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I sort of left that uh, up to others what they decide what they would want. Um, but I. I think almost every single one I did my actual signature. So if people want me to whip out the uh, the caveman signature, I can do that too. Those who got our holiday cards this year got the caveman signature. They did. Uh, a little hockey question uh, says, looking at the draft class, is there anyone who early on you think is too highly rated and someone you think is too lowly rated or rated too low? Love the show. Keep up the great work. It's tough to say because it all matters in context, and I don't think I've ranked enough prospects yet to have enough context of you know ranking players against each other to really have a good feel for that. Um, I haven't got deep into the you know late first second round guys yet, so there's not really one guy that I'll say should bump up yet. I've only started doing my preliminary research on him and we haven't done the prospect profile yet. I have concerns about where Reinbacher is ranked. I think a few, the vibe I'm getting is way too many people um, are saying if he just has that, like, you know, more side or breakout on offense, then you've got a stud here, which is true, but it's also important to remember most cider is the heavy exception to that rule, not the norm. So, you know, not to say it can't happen, but I think the combination of him being 
a right D playing in a weird league in a very light defense draft has probably shot him up more than at least to this point, I would say is justified. Now that I've said that you can write with pen who the Red Wings are taking with their first pick, but that'd be my answer for now. Once I get a bit, you know, deeper on his profile, I'm hoping that it changes my answer. Is Mo Sider to, um, you know, highly ranked prospects from non traditionally like top five hockey countries, what Braden Point is to talented but tiny forwards in the NHL draft? I'd say it would be worse if there was only more players who fit that that description. Yeah, the, our saving grace here is that there aren't a lot of people in the in the former's mold, but much like I'm so tired of the Braden Point comparable, we're probably getting there. And it's funny as Red Wings fans because we don't see it because we're just enjoying Mo Sider and then whatever other Colossus talented defenseman uh, Steve Eisman has brought in, but I'm sure there are fans and folks covering teams from across the league who are banging their heads off the table because they're like, no, no, you can't predictably replicate the Mo Sider process. No, not everyone is Mo Sider. No, no, no. Anyhow. Okay, folks, uh, like I mentioned, we are going to have a bonus episode, hopefully before our midweek episode, which will be the uh, the audio of the live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast day at the LCA. Um, again, if you had tickets but did not pick up your special Red Wings slash Winged Wheel podcast co-branded hat, uh, send us an email from the email address that you use to buy your tickets with your name and how many tickets uh, to pod at wingedwheelpodcast.com. We want to give a special shout out uh, to the Detroit Red Wings who have been incredible partners in organizing now four Winged Wheel podcast days or nights at the LCA, uh, raising some incredible money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, Prashant Iyer, um, our, all of our significant others for uh, helping to make those days a success. If, if you go to them, you'll understand why. Uh, we're just the meatheads who, who wander around smiling, and then they're the ones who make things happen. Um, Sean Shapiro for coming in and helping with the announcement of Expected by Whom. And all of you, the 500 of you who sold out tickets and the thousands of you who came by at the merch table again, thank you so, so very much. Uh, we're excited to do more of these in the future. In the interest of uh, Evan's eyeballs, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you all for tuning in. We'd like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon, including our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Bertuzzi is straight up missing, Nick Perks, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Arjun, Babe Landiscob. Babe Landiscog, Carl Bertan and Anilewski, Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hanks Energy, Hassam <laughs> Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Matt Penzine, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, Tyrone Bigham's Mystery Snout, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number 1 Detroit Red Guys Fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, noted Phillips Adina Whisperer, and Alex Tendelkovich Truther, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, CJ Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, Dios mio, donde esta to do me harrow. Oh no. Thanks, Reed. Evans 2018 Kitchener Road Puddles, Frank Stanley, George's biggest fan, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheese Bag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo. J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, O'Ophelia, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, and Hunter. Thank you all so very much. 
and we'll be back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.